I realized that is I figured I'd take like a two-week break. Two-week break from drinking, about a week into that break. I was cold constantly. I couldn't sit still at all. I thought I was going through withdrawal. Turned out it was just COVID, though. That was relief somehow. That was good news. Started drinking too much partially because uh, my girlfriend got a cat. Got this big beagle. Was it a huntsman or a player that made you pay the cost that now assumes relaxed positions and prostitutes your loss? Were you tortured by your own thirst in those pleasures that you seek that made you Tom the curious that makes you James the weak? And you claim you got something going Something you call unique But I've seen your self-pity showing As the tears roll down your cheeks Soon you know I'll leave you and I'll never look behind Cause I was born for the purpose that crucifies your mind So can't convince your mirror as you've always done before Giving substance to shadows, giving substance evermore And you assume you got something to offer Secret shiny and you But how much of you is repetition That you didn't whisper to him too
And good morning. You're listening to Labor and Love. This is The Bee. Coming to you from Mutiny Radio at 2781 21st Street. Every Saturday here from 10 to 12. Labor and Love takes place. A show by, for, and about working people where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And as Mark Karl Marx said famously, labor is love. So that time, labor is life. All that time you're working is your life passing by. And if you don't have a seat at the negotiating table, someone else is making up what's going to happen in that time. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. We started out with Sixto Rodriguez, crucify your mind and let your mind be taken over and crucified. Second, we had Dave Brubeck, and that's a little bit of joy recognizing the huge election, elections that happen in the U.S. just, when was it? Last Tuesday, the votes were counted. What a slap in the face for Trumpism and for fear and for racism. I couldn't, you can't really say that uh, the Democrats won everything. What they did was break even when they were supposed to lose big. So you can call that a win, I guess, if you want. We'll call that a win. All right. Got to take them where we can get them. But look around you all over the country. What's really important also, besides the people who were elected or not elected, was the propositions in five states, states like Kentucky and Montana among them, of course, California. Woman's right to control her own body was emphasized and won by sizable margins in Kentucky. What a big mistake the Republicans did and what evangelists and the people like them. They stepped into that trap where just because they thought it was one thing, that abortions are one thing, everybody else did too. All kinds of people want the right to abortions, not just women, not just young women, or women who are want careers, 
but men too. Every time you turn around, you go to bed with your girlfriend or your wife. You want to get pregnant and then have the, the right wing of the Republican Party tell you that you can't have it, you can't terminate that pregnancy in your own body? Anyway, that was a big, big victory. Um, we played uh, Dave Brubeck Take 5 for a little celebration there. And then Hard for the Money, Donna Summer, singing about those people, those individual people, those invisible people who service your hotel, who put new sheets on, who clean up after you. They work hard for the money, and we're going to highlight a union in Nevada that spearheads the progressive politics of that state. It's still up in the air as to whether that last Senate seat, second to the last Senate seat in Nevada will be carried by Democrats or Republicans. A very close race there. What do we got for you today? Well, let's take a look. Labor history in two. Chainsaw Bob. I think the guy's name is Chainsaw Bob. Sort of like the Elon Musk of his day, firing people and lining his pockets with money, selling stock options and stocks. Okay, Radio Labor, our worldwide labor report. A little bit of talk about Sixto Rodriguez. It's quite a story if you don't know it. A man who was rediscovered years later by one of his daughters. And talk about workers in the Arab world. We're going to highlight the first recorded strike for pay in 1170 BCE. That's 3,000 years ago. The first sit-down strike. Okay, we're going to get look at some spooky campaign ads, and there were some spooky ones um, from the Bituation Room. A background on the Culinary Workers Union, where it came from and what it's doing, what it's done. Labor notes highlighting a general strike threat in Ontario. First Latina congressman in Illinois, he was elected. And then the World Cup in Qatar. What's going on behind the curtain, behind the hype? 
It's not a pretty story, believe me. And then Elon Musk. Musk said he was done selling Tesla stock back in August. Before Twitter's legal action sealed the deal for a $44 billion takeover. And people lost their jobs. We'll look into that. All right, let's get on now. Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, November 11th, 2022. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, a special edition on the candidates for the position of General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. Well, I'm going to tell you, fascists, you may be surprised. People in this world are getting organized. This is Radio Labor. I propose a strategic positioning of ONTU be more progressive. My major objective is to make the ITC stronger. Those are the candidates for the position of General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation, Kemal Ozkan and Luca Vicentini. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers, such as the Ghana Trade Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. It is holding its fifth World Congress in Melbourne, Australia, November 17th to 22nd, 2022. The Congress will see the retirement of Sharon Burrow, who has been the ITUC's General Secretary since 2010. She was the first woman to be elected to the position. I talked to Mr. Ozkan and Mr. Vicentini about their plans for the ITUC. Mr. Ozkan is a Turkish trade unionist and an assistant general secretary of the Global Union Industrial. I asked him what his priorities would be for the ITUC. Inclusiveness, democracy, and transparency will be our main values. It is my objective that all the national confederations strongly feel that they are a proud part of this great organization, regardless of their region, regardless of their size, regardless of their political tradition or culture. I am a passionate team leader. We will energize a strong culture and identity among staff members, uniting and motivating them around purpose, values, and strategic goals of the organization. For sure, a special attention will be given to increasing capacity around campaigning and organizing. With our joint energy, commitment, and dedication, and we can build a new chapter of proud history for the ITUC. I propose a strategic positioning of ITUC to be more progressive, a strong campaigner, and a strong negotiator with these simplified strategic goals, particularly under three big bullet points, fighting for rights, strong and advocacy, building union power, and growth of our movement, and shaping our future through just transition. 
And I propose a transformation in the functioning of the organization, transformation in the governance, making inclusive and transparency, democracy, main establishment of the organization, transformation of the work of the leadership on a structure, a model of leadership with clear and visible definitions of roles and uh, responsibilities. I wanted a transformation in routinal work with much more cooperation, coordination and alignment with the regional organization. And I also want to do a transformation of the work of Council of Global Unions with an increasing capacity around campaigning and organizing. Let's step up to this challenge altogether around the world. Mr. Vicentini began his trade union career in Italy and is now the General Secretary of the European Trade Union Confederation, the ETUC. I asked him what his objectives were in running for the ITUC General Secretary position. My major objective is to make the ITUC stronger. Uh, we need to deal with enormous challenges that come from the COVID crisis, before that the financial crisis, and now uh, increasing conflicts all around the world, starting with Ukraine, of course. All this requires a very strong and ambitious trade union movement. And there is a need uh, to achieve this, uh, to put in place a series of actions. The first one is that we need to increase our, our influential role at global level, making sure that the ITUC can really be a very strong negotiator towards the multilateral institutions, towards the employers, the multinational enterprises. We have to make sure that we can really be an actor in the global dimension to achieve uh, important results for working people. But to do that, of course, we need also to build trade union power. And trade union power is based on organizing, is based on negotiating power for collective bargaining, for minimum wages, for social dialogue, but is also based on the fact that we need to reinforce uh, uh, trade union rights uh, and workers' rights uh, all over the world. And also this implies that uh, uh, within and inside the trade union movement, we have to increase democracy, transparency, internal participation, involvement of the different affiliates that are part of the ITUC. Uh, in this respect, it's important to reinforce the capacity of uh, the headquarters and the staff and the elected team and the leadership of the ITUC to operate and to deliver results. But at the same time, it's also very important to make sure that we can empower the regions, we can involve the affiliates in the ETUC, in the ITUC in the different continents, I mean, to deliver more and better and to make sure that they can be close to our members, to working people all over the world, and that the ITUC can be really perceived as an organization that is at their disposal, that can make a difference for them uh, in practice uh, on the ground. And for this to happen, of course, unity is also a fundamental element in the ITUC to be considered. Uh, this unity has to be reinforced. Uh, I think that uh, because of the experience I have developed over the years, uh, I'm active in the trade union movement now for more than 30 years, uh, first at local and then national and then European level, uh, I can be a good candidate. I mean, I can bring a contribution. I'm really uh, eager and I'm really ready, I mean, to bring this contribution to the movement and make sure that uh, we can deliver all together better results in unity, standing together and reinforcing our capacity. There seems to be a worldwide rise in right-wing politics, which in part 
consists of attacks on labor unions. Why is the right wing becoming more influential? Well, I think it's exactly because of the consequences of the neoliberal model. All this has brought, together with conflicts of wars and wars and challenges to peace, uh, these elements have really uh, uh, created enormous disruption, enormous crisis when it comes to the economy, but also when it comes to the social and living conditions for people. And when people see their jobs at risk, their well-being at risk, their salaries at risk, their families at, at risk, well, they react with anger and also with desperation to some extent. And this anger and desperation leads uh, uh, to the right wing to, you know, deliver maybe populistic messages, but messages that can really uh, touch up, I mean, with people's needs and with people's expectations. And uh, uh, the, promise, the promises that come out from the right wing, from the neo-fascist movement, movements, can be really seducing for people that are in a desperation situation, in a very bad situation in terms of economics and in terms of uh, uh, social conditions. Uh, of course, these are just promises. These promises are not kept. We have seen that every time right-wing movement, uh, neo-fascist movement gets into power, then it's always, uh, uh, it's always working people paying the price for this. Uh, it's again neoliberal policies uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, rights uh, uh, to be destroyed, I mean. And so we need, we need really as trade unions to step up uh, explain to working people that the promises coming from the right wing don't work uh, and that we have on the contrary i mean to fight for a more progressive and inclusive uh, political economic and social model and this is based on workers rights but also on trade union rights we need to fight our battle for this uh, and we have really to come together at global level as trade unions uh, together with civil society organizations and all democratic uh, movements uh, to make sure that we can really defeat the far right everywhere in the world. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the demand by Polish and Ukrainian unions for the expulsion of the pro-invasion Russian central labor body, the FNPR, from the International Trade Union Confederation at its upcoming global conference. The conference opens next week in Melbourne, Australia. We also carried news of general strikes demanding wage increases greater than the rate of inflation in Greece and Belgium, and many, many stories about the solidarity shown migrant workers in Qatar by footballers as they prepare for the start of the World Cup. And we had coverage of a report on the gains made by independent unions in Mexico in the past two years, and on the similar progress being made by their sister unions in Palestine. The emerging continuing trend in our news coverage this week has been the spike in strikes as a result of global inflation. Wage strikes are popping up all over the place in Argentina, France, the United Kingdom, the USA, South Africa, Nigeria, Ireland, Malaysia, India, Australia, New Zealand, and in many other countries. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news items detailing the disproportionate impact of inflation and the economic slowdown on women workers in Canada, the ongoing fight for decent work by women tobacco workers in Malawi, and how garment workers in Madagascar 
are developing strategies to combat workplace gender-based harassment and violence. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week included items about the arrest of a journalist investigating Hamas corruption in Gaza, Nigeria's ratification of the International Labour Organization's Convention on Harassment and Violence at Work, and the deaths of 10 migrant workers in the Maldives after a fire swept through their dormitory. Our current photo of the week is of one of the 55,000 Canadian education workers who, despite being stripped of their constitutional right to strike and legislation making a strike illegal, walked a picket line last week. Their illegal walkout forced the government of the province of Ontario to back down. Not only was their victory clean and clear, it united the fractious Canadian labour movement. Labour Start hosts online solidarity actions at the requests of unions around the world. This week, we'd like to highlight urgent appeals for online solidarity with trade union activists in Turkey, the Philippines, Canada, Myanmar, and Kazakhstan. If you can spare just a few seconds, you can do your part in these struggles by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of these and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. The United States held elections this week, which saw the continuing rise of fascism in the country, especially within the Republican Party. It is appropriate then to remind ourselves that the fight against fascism in the United States is not a new phenomenon. Here is the American folk singer Woody Guthrie singing in the 1940s. You fascists are bound to lose. That's it. Labor news you can use. You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Bolache. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Mujer, mujer soy, I am a woman.
a las cafeteras.
And serving my time, breaking rocks out here on the chain Cause it don't convict me a crime. I hold it steady right there while I hit it. Well, I reckon that ought to get it. I've been working and working, but I still got so deadly far to go. I committed crime, Lord, I need time of being hungry. Right, Nina Simone there. Nina Simone, like uh, I hadn't hadn't known before. This is an album called Nina with Strings. 
Okay, I didn't especially hear the strings there, but they've got a nice sweet picture of Nina Simone with a big grin on her face. Folksy Nina, 19 original classics. Nina Simone with strings. This would be before Nina Simone came into prominence as one of the, the biggest protest singers, one of the biggest uh, singer of protest songs, and, and her work was uh, inspired by real anger at the uh, situation of, of Nina Simone and black people in general in America. And uh, after a while, it kind of got to her the way it did like someone like Donny Hathaway, who Hathaway evidently killed himself because he thought white people were trying to kill him. He sort of went crazy. White people trying to kill him in America? Huh, wow. <laughs> How did he ever get that idea? And the same road uh, for Nina Simone. She became increasingly angry. Her, her message was not getting through. She would sit and play these anger songs and white people would just clap. And the situation uh, did not really improve. Although she did sing, her work was very effective in bringing that aspect of uh, her life and the life of people of color in this country to uh, the attention of a lot of people, including little white suburban guys like myself. Nina Simone will be playing more of that album. Uh, the song was The Chain Gang, uh, and it says Adderley on it. I wonder if that's Nat Aller, Aller, Adderley. The Chain Gang, of course, probably a relative of the song, of Sam Cooke's beautiful song, Working on the Chain Gang. Okay, this is Labor and Love Radio. We still got a lot more to go. It's quarter, 10 minutes to 11. And I do want to get into this situation of uh, Qatar. Reading more and more now about the World Cup, which is, of course, the number one sports event in the world, hands down, all over the world. Countries vie to host the uh, World Cup. And it's not something they make money out of. They can't charge taxes to FIFA. FIFA is the ruling body. And I would invite you, if you want some background on this, to check out a movie on Netflix called FIFA Uncovered. And it tells the history of FIFA going back the 70s, 1970s, and it is uh, 
dirty. <laughs> it's dirty. The way the FIFA directors um, extorted money and made money hand over fist, then they tried to use it to uh, bribe one another against each other. It's something like Enron or... I mean, it's, it's a big business, right? And at one point, after talking about a particularly egregious case of uh, of bribery, $10 million worth, guy says, well, this is how business is done all over the world. And he's right. This is the way it happens. So see what we got on FIFA. Not the least part of the story is the workers who are exploited. When Qatar was awarded the contract, it was strange to a lot of people not strange if, if you know how business is done, of course, but strange to a lot of people that there was not one soccer stadium in the country that could, that would work for the World Cup. So seven soccer stadiums had to be built in Doha, the capital of Qatar. An airport, various other administrative buildings, in other words, from the ground up. The country is fabulously rich because of natural gas. So it's like another oil company, country. But um, here we go. FIFA. Age of 32. My little brother was my closest companion. Now I'll never see him again. Sujan died far away from his homeland, Bangladesh, as a migrant worker in Qatar. Taslima Akhtar has to take care of her mother. These days, the 65-year-old is weaker than usual. It's the anniversary of the death of Sujan, her youngest. He died exactly two years ago today. She used to talk on the phone with her younger brother every day, says Taslima. Sujan would often complain about the conditions in Qatar, the heat, the grueling work, that he wasn't receiving the agreed wage, that he often had to wait months to be paid. My brother was still so young. He went away to earn money to give us a better life. We never dreamed he'd die so suddenly. It breaks my heart that he's not here anymore. He worked in Qatar for three years, and our debts are bigger than before. A job in Qatar, the nation hosting the upcoming Soccer World Cup, an enticing prospect for millions of migrant workers from the global south. So this 
this will tell us about Qatar, about individual workers, not about the big production, the World Cup, and the wheeling and dealing. Because they're struggling to make ends meet at home, they're trying their luck in the tiny Persian Gulf Emirate. Qatar is one of the world's richest nations due to its immense reserves of oil and gas. The Emirate is home to almost three million people, but only a small proportion of these are Qatari citizens. More than two million residents are migrant workers. The nation's wealth isn't shared with them. They're usually paid the minimum wage of around 270 euros a month. I'd just like to add that there are about 3 million people in Qatar and uh, some 90% of them are um, foreign workers. Among them are teachers. I know a, a woman who taught in Qatar for two years. And we'll talk a little bit more about her ordeal. But uh, on with the film. Some 4,000 kilometers to the east, Jamal Mula, the dead migrant worker's older brother, heads to his little shop. There's not much work here in Chagaya, a village near the capital, Dhaka. The shop is just enough for Jamal to keep himself afloat. To be able to send my brother abroad, we had to take out a loan and also borrow money from our relatives. And now we've no idea how we're ever going to repay it all. Workers are usually recruited through agencies in their home nations. Agency fees can often run into several thousand euros and many take on debts to pay them. At the contract signing, agents promise a good wage and decent accommodation, but on arrival in Qatar, workers are frequently greeted with a very different reality. To this day, Jamal Moula and his family don't know why Sujan suddenly died two years ago. One thing's beyond doubt, his wasn't an isolated case. Thousands of mostly young men have left for Qatar and not returned alive. It happened in the early hours of the 23rd of September, 2020. One evening my cousin rang and gave us the news of Sujan's death. How did he die? We were told his teeth suddenly started hurting and that he later died in hospital of a heart attack. On Sujan's death certificate, it says, acute heart failure due to natural causes, wording commonly used to cover up other potential causes of migrant workers' deaths, such as total exhaustion or heat stroke, says Amnesty International. We try and contact the company named on the death certificate. But it's not that simple. An internet search for Cancubra trading and contracting draws a complete blank. We call the Qatari number on the death certificate. A man with an Indian accent picks up. He confirms that he works for Cancubra, but when we ask for a name and an email address, the man just hangs up. Trade union official Dietmar Schaefers isn't at all surprised. What we're experiencing in Qatar is not unusual for the entire Gulf region. Specifically, people are working with several subcontractors, which makes it all the more difficult to follow the chain, often with dubious companies in the mix. 
The German official has been traveling regularly to Qatar for the past nine years to assess working conditions in the Emirate. Huge international pressure has resulted in genuine improvements on official FIFA building sites, says Schaefers. Nevertheless, more needs to be done to address some of the less visible deficits, he adds. Qatar has initiated reforms, and now it simply needs to enforce them more stringently. For example, with a great many more inspectors and much more severe penalties for non-compliance with the new laws. Officially, during the hottest summer months, no one is allowed to work outside in the middle of the day. But where there's no plaintiff, there's no judge. The violations are possible because most migrants find themselves at the mercy of their employers, owing to a perfidious sponsorship system known as Kafala, and this is how it works. To be allowed to enter Qatar, foreign workers need a local sponsor. Usually that's the employer. As a sponsor, the employer determines the right of every migrant to live and work in the country. Often, employers even confiscate their workers' passports. If a worker wants to change his job or leave the country, he needs his sponsor's permission to do that. A form of modern slavery, say human rights organizations. Officially, the Qatari government has abolished the system, but it's not being effectively monitored. And we're still seeing many cases where passports are being retained and employees can't leave the country when they want. The Emirate even admits to its partners abroad that there are deficits. At a meeting in Germany, Qatar's ambassador addresses the German Football Association. We are not claiming we are perfect, but it's a journey that we will, we will ride. Don't expect Qatar in five or six years just for the sake of the, uh, of the noise and, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the argument. Let's be realistic and calm down rather than just jump into the uh, wave so that we just let's talk about human rights. We all respect it, but we need to be a bit, you know, uh, modest about it. Back in Qatar, modesty isn't the first word that springs to mind. Wealth is omnipresent. But as for social freedoms in the Emirate, they're much less of a priority. Qatar is an absolute monarchy. There's no freedom of speech or free media. And also, no free elections. Like adultery, homosexuality is a crime. Qatari law requires women to have a male guardian who makes key decisions about their lives. The royal household retains supreme power here. So you can just see for yourself, this is Qatar. Look, this is where the migrant workers are drying their clothes. Just see for yourself. This footage was sent to us by Edwin, a Kenyan migrant worker in Doha. We've changed his name and his words are spoken by an actor. After all, expressing critical views can be dangerous. We can't verify his claims, but they chime with other accounts. Seven people in this small room. You have your personal belongings, your cooking utensils, your clothes, everything you have in this room. You will see cockroaches at night walking around and your food is there. It's not healthy. Edwin has been working as a guard in a residential complex in the Qatari capital Doha for three years. His main duty, to check who's going in and out. A shift lasts 12 hours, 
plus a daily commute of around three hours to his accommodation on the city's outskirts. We keep in touch with Edwin for months. He sends us numerous videos from Qatar, reporting on the daily routines of his job, which is poorly paid. In audio messages, Edwin tells us how his boss blackmailed him when he wanted to change jobs. Edwin had to pay him the equivalent of more than 1,000 euros to get his passport back. When you go inside the director's office, he tells you you have to leave your phone in the secretary's area because they know you might put your mobile phone on recording mode. If something happens, you don't have proof. Then he tells you you have to pay, which is illegal. I got an email from this company called Unison. Because unions and strikes are banned in Qatar, there's no effective support for migrant workers. Complaint handling authorities only exist on paper. But in Edwin's homeland, Kenya, there's someone offering assistance. You are allowed or you are supposed to have uh, your passport with you, your phone, and uh, they're not supposed to take it away from you. You know, that is wrong. Kenyan national Malcolm Bedali worked as a guard himself for three years in Qatar. Because he complained about the poor living and working conditions on social media, he was arrested and detained for a month in Doha jail. Today, he's fighting for improved migrant workers' rights from Nairobi, where he and a colleague founded the organization Migrant Defenders. Humans have been migrating ever since the dawn of time. So I'm not dissuading anyone from traveling. What we are trying to do is to kind of put in place uh, like ethical migration. Uh, we would use campaigns and advocacy, you know, inform the public, inform stakeholders, inform, you know, all these things. Keep it out there, you know, just information, information, information. You know, we can't just like sit like with, with the hands behind our back and all that. Uh, if we do nothing, the situation remains the same. Back in Bangladesh, on the anniversary of Sujan's death, the men of the family go to the cemetery to remember the young man. If my brother was still alive, we'd watch the World Cup together on TV. We'd cheer the matches together. But now I'm calling on the government in Qatar to pay foreign workers what they're entitled to and help those families who've lost a loved one in Qatar so that they can carry on living. Human rights organizations and many national soccer associations are now calling on FIFA and Qatar to set up a compensation fund for Qatar's guest workers. But the world's soccer governing body has yet to fully commit to the idea. Which begs the question, when the final whistle calls time on the final match in Qatar, what will the world remember about these championships? The Soccer World Cup wants to succeed, whatever the costs. Okay, so that's a uh, documentary by a um, German company, DW.
about the situation in Qatar. And what we have here is somebody, somebody said, is a modern form of slavery. The kafala system requires workers to give up their passports when they come into Qatar to work. And um, as you can tell, that gives enormous power to their employers, to Qatar, and ultimately to FIFA. The invisible hand in this in this situation is that of FIFA. If FIFA would require host countries to support their workers and to pay their workers fairly and on time, there would be no problem. Um, but as the Qatari guy said, you know, let's be a little modest about this. Let's not go overhead, overhead at, uh, at, uh, Here's the opposite side. Here's Qatari's side, the dark side of the World Cup. Qatar has faced intense criticism since it was set to host the World Cup. The Australian football team has released a video demanding more from Qatar. Qatar has faced heat for its labor policies and human rights record. Now, Qatar's emir spoken out against the campaign of criticism. The 2022 Football World Cup begins in Qatar next month. Ever since the country won its bid to host the marquee event, it has faced criticism. Criticism about the way it treats workers. Criticism about its human rights record. Criticism about its rules on alcohol consumption. And criticism about its attitude towards the LGBTQ community. The West Asian Kingdom has had enough. Its ruler, Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani, has hit out. We initially dealt with the matter in good faith and even considered some of the criticism as positive and useful in helping us develop aspects of ours that need to be developed. But it soon became clear to us that the campaign tends to continue and expand to include fabrications and double standards that was so ferocious that it has unfortunately prompted many people to question the real reasons and motives behind this campaign. The Emir's accusation of relentless criticism isn't unfounded. Let's take a look at some of the most recent criticism. We'll start with a video released by members of the Australian football team. Over the last two years, we have been on a journey to understand and learn more about the situation in Qatar. We are not experts, but we have listened to groups such as Amnesty, FIFA, the Supreme Committee, the International Labour Organization, FIF Pro, and most importantly, the migrant workers of Qatar. We have learned that progress has been made both on paper and in practice. The kafala system has largely been dismantled, working conditions have improved, 
and a minimum wage has been established. Whilst the reforms established in Qatar are an important and welcome step, their implementation remains inconsistent and requires improvement. We have learned that the decision to host the World Cup in Qatar resulted in the suffering and in the harm of countless of our fellow workers. These migrant workers who have suffered are not just numbers. Like the migrants that have shaped our country and our football, they possess the same courage and determination to build a better life. As players, we fully support the rights of the LGBTI plus people. But in Qatar, people are not free to love the person that they choose. Addressing these issues is not easy and we do not have all the answers. We stand with FIFPRO, the Building and Woodworkers International, and the International Trade Union Confederation seeking to embed reforms and establish a lasting legacy in Qatar. Danish footballers are not travelling with their families. The Danish Football Association said they want to contribute as little as possible to Qatar's profits. This is to protest Qatar's human rights record. The French Football Federation has said it would send a delegation to Qatar. This would be to check on the working conditions of migrant workers. The United States has publicly urged Qatar to be patient with football fans. Um, we want to make sure, uh, and I think we've said this publicly, we want to make sure that um, uh, law enforcement um, for the Qataris is in the right place. We want to make sure that in uh, the ministries there is a level of uh, patience and tolerance uh, for uh, what the world brings when you invite the world uh, to your country. Qatar says it has been trying to change things in light of the criticism. The country, which usually does not allow alcohol, will have areas for drunk fans to sober up. The country has made progress in its labor rights, though it admits there are still some lapses. It has said that LGBTQ fans coming to the country will not face persecution of any sort. But its promises have not been enough to end the criticism. It seems tensions have devolved into a clash of cultures. An orthodox Muslim-majority nation hosting the World Cup is dealing with the expectations of liberal Western nations. The critical nations weren't always as liberal as they are now. Qatar too has progressed and continues to move forward. But it seems the progress is not fast enough for the Western nations. West Asia Bureau, Fion, World is One. is now available in your country. Download the app now and get all the... Okay, that's an app. An app. Um... So, the question is, okay, the lives of workers, that's what we're concerned with on this show and that's what people need to be concerned about all over the world. The When the Qatari official says... We need to be a little modest about that. He's talking about human lives. Um, and they they showed that that one woman who was uh, crying for her younger brother. All right, let's shift gears a little here. Um... And, and talk about other aspects 
the Culinary Workers Union. Now, the Culinary Workers Union in Nevada, which is one of the most successful unions uh, in the country, they've been crucial to the uh, turning of Nevada from a red state into what people call a purple state. Recently in Nevada, the uh, governor's race was won by a Democrat who was backed by the union. There's a hot race between the senator for senator. And we'll see how that comes out. With that goes a big chunk of influence in the coming uh, Senate. The Culinary Workers Union was founded on November 1st, 1935, has approximately 60,000 members. It's a member of the uh, larger labor collective Unite Here, affiliated with the AFL-CIO. Members include a variety of occupations organized along craft lines working in restaurants, hotels, and laundries in the casinos in the Las Vegas metropolitan area and Reno, as well as McCarran International Airport and Valley Hospital Medical Center. While most culinary workers work in casinos, the union does not represent dealers and other employees directly providing gaming services. So, these are not... These are not the people who would deal you those cards in 21, and who always seem to be a step ahead of you. Um, the union also has a partnership with the Culinary Academy of Las Vegas, which Hattie Canty, the first African-American woman elected to be president of the Culinary Union, was instrumental in organizing. Uh, Local 165 of Unite here represents bartenders in Las Vegas, although the two locals negotiate contracts in tandem. Let's hear what they've done now. This is Culinary Workers Union, Wikipedia. In January 2008, the union endorsed Senator Barack Obama over New York Senator Hillary Clinton. In February 2016, the union declined to endorse either Clinton or Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders during the caucuses and later endorsed Clinton when she became the Democratic presidential nominee. She won Nevada. In December 2018, B. Duran, a grievance representative for the culinary workers, was appointed to the Nevada State Assembly. In February 2020, the union once again declined to endorse a candidate. The division came after it circulated a flyer among members 
criticizing Sanders and Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren's support for single-payer health care when it argued would leave members with worse benefits than before. Some union leaders reported receiving threats after the flyer was published. Despite this warning, a majority of the union's members caucusing at one casino voted for Sanders. So, again, these are the people, The uh, a lot of them are immigrant people. They do the dirty work at the hotels. Um, and when I say dirty work, I mean they clean the hotels. They clean it up after everybody. Hotels, restaurants, and laundries. So, check it out. Local 226 of the Culinary Union. A union that has really stepped up. Here's a story out of Ontario, Canada. Ontario workers delivered a spectacular blow to Premier Doug Ford's government this week. Just four days after ramming through unprecedented anti-worker legislation, Bill 28, Fox appear, Ford appeared in a hastily called press conference on Monday morning to announce its full repeal. Ford claimed this was a good-faith gesture to kick-start negotiations with Ontario's 55,000 education workers who had entered the second day of an illegal strike. But his actions the previous week had painted a very different picture of a government hell-bent on stripping workers of their rights to strike and bargain. Reality is that Ford and his government were spooked by the rapid and unexpected escalation of Ontario's unions, including a plan to launch, launch an indefinite general strike on November 14th. Ford's stunning reversal wipes out his government's ambitions to legislate away workers' rights in the province. This could mark the beginning of a rank-and-file-driven renewal of Ontario's labor movement. So, check that one out on the Labor, labor Notes website. Um, workers have power, okay? Sometimes it only takes a threat of, of the use of that power. And let's see exactly what the uh, Bill 28, let's see. Ford spoke slowly and deliberately. His tone was conciliatory despite some cheap shots. He said Bill 28 would be repealed, but only if education workers called off their strike. At first, the magnitude of Ford's defeat was not, was not obvious. Many unionists were anxious to announce the escalation and turn their attention to building it. The scale of success came into view. 
Bill 28 turned out to be a gift from Ford, an existential threat to help unite the leadership of Ontario's unions and stiffen their resolve to take dramatic action. A debate within the union was whether to keep the lines up or take them down in response to Ford's announcement. This was a difficult decision and ultimately a tactical mistake. Workers decided to collapse the pickets and return to work. Workers should not give up their leverage until a deal is in hand. And the leverage that all Ontario workers held at that moment was truly unprecedented. Let's see if we can get a read on what... From the moment of the... Okay, it doesn't really exactly say what Bill 28 was. Okay, here we go. Besides imposing a concessionary contract on the lowest paid workers in the education system, it invoked a non-withstanding clause of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms to prevent any challenge to the bill, criminalize all strike activity, and override rights protected in Ontario's Labor Relations Act and Human Rights Code. Five a.m. sessions were scheduled to force the bill through in record time, Tory conservative legislators laughed, backslapped each other, and mocked the opposition throughout the proceedings. Their mouthpieces in the media predicted that parents would reward them for being so decisive. But the fuse that lit the tinderbox of Ontario's labor union was Keeping Students in Class Act. Okay. OSBCU represents not the teachers, that's the C-U-P-E, such as education assistants, library workers, administrative assistants, custodians, early childhood educators. Okay, so a general strike threat was enough to get Ford to withdraw the law. But this group, the uh, labor notes people, are critical because they think that the Union collapsed too soon. But we'll see. See how that one turns out. Okay, it's about 11.25. What have we got left here? 
first strike of ever. Campaign ads. Let's play that one. These are spooky campaign ads that Republicans ran in the run-up to the election. Republicans specifically are pulling out some of their spookiest advertisements <laughs> to uh, drum up fear about their challengers in the race. And so I want to just, just, just a little smattering of my faves and uh, getting you guys' thoughts on um, on all of them. So maybe we can have a winner at the end who sure. was the scariest. All right, so this is Scare Tactics. <laughs> Spooky. Over in Iowa, um, Kim Reynolds, uh, current governor, is running against Deidre DeGere, who is, uh, who is a black woman. Mm-hmm. Who in, in Iowa, uh, which is I believe still a predominantly white state, mm-hmm. um, and this is how Kim is positioning herself versus Deirdre Dejir. She doesn't say her by name really, um, but here's our first runner-up for scare tactics. Starts with if you're just listening, um, a quote from Cory Bush. And defunding the police has to happen. Watching the news. You wonder, has the rest of the country lost its mind? Attacks on police, open borders, paying people not to work. Aren't you glad you live in Iowa? Governor Kim Reynolds. Here we still have common sense. We kept businesses open and kids in school. We cut taxes and support our police. Because in Iowa, America still works. Oh man, I, that's you know what I like about that one. We're we're going classic, we're classic scare tactic yeah. with like uh, you know uh, black people want to defund the police and the borders are open and what welfare? Yes, yeah. People are getting paid to not work. So like it's that's classic '90s conservative. Yeah, yeah. But aren't you glad here in Iowa? We've got demographics on our side. Yeah, exactly. And here I am at this uh, like yeah. little little boutique coffee shop with yeah. some homemade candles in the back that are sold for thirty five dollars a piece. Anyway, you like you just yeah here in wherever I am, yeah. I'm always inside of a Chico's. Yeah, and I'm always buying something here in this cornfield. We make <laughs> sure that everybody works, even if they're injured. It's like cool. <laughs> are you sick and dying? Well, you better work for that medicine, motherfucker. <laughs> Vote Kim Reynolds. Keep spraying that roundup, yeah. bitch. Vote for me. Hacha! That's a whip that she has. <laughs> she is literally a slave driver. Yeah. Um. So that's that's Kim Reynolds. Then we have uh, moving on up uh, from my least fave to my fave. Just just putting it out there. Mm. So this is an unofficial. Mm. Uh, campaign ad for Tudor Dixon, who's running for governor of Michigan. Um, Tudor Dixon? Gre- Gretchen Whitmer. Yes, Tudor Dixon. Tudor. Um, Tudor Dixon. On Tudor, is... on the pewter. Yeah, I'm definitely sorry. some sort of sex position. It's the wrong accent, but it's fun to do. Um, and this is... I wish I could show you the whole thing. I realize we might have cut out the best part. Oh, no. I'm sorry for that. That's okay. But if you're just listening, um, it's a group of sort of MAGA 
like like they went shopping at the MAGA, MAGA Spirit Halloween store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for their outfits, uh, yeah. old people standing around having a perfectly normal, um, what feels like forced improv conversation. Hey, have you seen the TV ads with the governor talking about the great things she's done for Michigan? She's a liar. Whitmer can say what she wants, but we live here. Just look around, man. During COVID, Whitmer locked down businesses like the Owasso Barber and put one woman from Holland in jail. Oh, yeah. 3,000 restaurants closed. And she's pro-business? Yeah, right. And what about those higher gas and food prices? Our schools were closed for almost two years. Poor kids. Okay, okay. I'm voting for the other chick. What's her name? Tudor Dixon. Okay, let's roll. Watch out for potholes. Whitmer never kept her promise to fix the damn roads. I mean, unbelievable on so many levels. <gasps> Round of applause. First of all, um, you're right about they they look all so unnatural. <laughs> They like and what about <laughs> like mega hot top they 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 went to cop talk topic and they <laughs> and they got like let me get one uh American flag bandana uh <laughs> headscarf and three uh default leather jackets but I don't ride a bike we'll just put them in the background oh my god and Terry uh, my favorite part is they say Gretchen Whitmer's name like 10 times. And then the one time where they're supposed to say Tudor Dixon, it's just like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> what is... You're killing me. No, the one, no, they don't say her name. They say, what about that other chick? Well, yeah, first of all, that was great. But also, they all say her name at the same time. And it's just, everyone, I'm giving fair warning. No, no. <laughs> That is <laughs> Tudor Dixon, and just like the amount of her. I thought if they did it loud, it would be good for the sound. Lesson learned. Oh God! Watch out for them potholes. Just like mm, and you know, fix but the damn state borders on the sidewalk. <laughs> I feel like this is what Josh was talking about in terms of you know we need to make attractive, uh, like campaign ads yeah like no i mean it helps it has heart head and and funny bone. and funny well here's I think a, it's got those three things honestly it does have those things like <laughs> to me i'm like that is kind of a good ad even though i mean it doesn't it won't be effective in that it doesn't i don't know who that was for right and there was like uh just the name of the republican uh party in that particular region but right. yeah that was incredible oh <sighs> so good Oh my God. Um, okay, so we have two more. I don't know. That that one maybe was even better, but this is this is short and sweet. Here we go. Uh this is from uh Louisiana ah, Senator yeah. uh John Kennedy. Here we go. Violent crime is surging in Louisiana. Woke leaders blame the police. I blame the criminals. A mom should not have to look over her shoulder when she's pumping gas. I voted against the early release of violent criminals, and I opposed defunding the police. Look, if you hate cops just because they're cops, the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. I'm John Kennedy, and I approve this message. <laughs> violent crime. Uh, first of all, uh, 
Down here, If Jim Crow were a man, oh, that yeah. would be me. Or, That's how I speak. I mean, this guy is fucking. He he also went is for Jim it. Crow man? Yeah, yeah. Jim Crow is a literal crow. It was just like, <laughs> hey, it's me. <laughs> Anyways, laws are gonna be different now. Uh, <laughs> you never thought of Jim Crow as an actual crow? I think about this regularly. It's this very racist crow who's like <laughs> changing laws, making them unequal. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Sorry. No, but I just love, first of all, his makeup job is insane. He's, uh, yeah. like, it's like they really airbrush the shit yeah, out of yeah. him. But like, next time you're in trouble, don't call the cops, call a crackhead. Yeah, call a crackhead. I was thinking about that for a while, actually. And I was like, I, I don't think a crackhead would kill you. Yeah, no, I was going to say, yeah, next time I'm in trouble, calling a crackhead actually sounds better because I have yet to see a crackhead who uh, is asked for help not, at the very least, be a little helpful. I'm yeah, sorry. But like, or, like, I, not have the strength to murder you. Right, exactly. Listen, the I don't focus. know. This is coming from, obviously, a guy who has never met a crackhead. But, like, crackheads, if there's one thing they're good at, it's solving some sort of puzzle because that's all they're thinking about. When you're just like, hey, 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 I need help. Someone just stole something. They smoke a little crack and then, but da 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 but da 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 Like Mighty Mouse? Yeah, well, that was Popeye the Sailor Man, oh, but okay. both. Um, okay. And yeah, here I come to smoke some yeah. crack. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, let's do this. And then by you, you walk to the bathroom. Five minutes later, you come back and they're like, this goes all the way to the top. <laughs> This is the mayor. Every time. That's why they call them crackheads, because they always crack the case. Exactly. They're, they are crack fucking detectives. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, like, just he's just like, some people, <laughs> some, some people blame cops. I blame, and I was like, you want to say it. I know you want to say it. You want to say you blame black people. Yeah, like, you want to, yeah. I blame the black criminals, mostly. Wow, <laughs> crime. I love that. A, is definitely what a good racist Louisiana guy is yes. so funny to me. <laughs> well, I do declare. <laughs> All right, my gumbo. We got one more, and this is ugh. so. Doctor Oz has been attempting to hit back on um, John Fetterman's just mm -hmm. incredible incredible ad campaigns which include a recent one comparing dr oz to dr nick from the simpsons so good you know like it's just he's just crushing it uh on every level and um all dr oz can muster is paying some fucking horrible ad firm to repurpose jib jab cartoons oh, no. and cards if you remember jib jab which is just cards that put yeah. like your face in like a dancing elf yeah something. remember the iraq war around that time those were the funniest things you'd ever seen mostly because the iraq war things were pretty dark back then yeah. we laughed at whatever we laughed at literally anything so quiznos he... commercials were funny to us then. <laughs> here is that attempt uh to um you know just nail nail fetterman to the cross and prisoners free while borders overflow soon may the fetterman come to bring us radical socialism one day when the nation is done we'll wish we'd told him no soon may the fetterman come to bring us radical socialism one day when the nation is done we'll wish we'd told him no Eesh. 
god, that is a, a little bit of a Planet of the Apes thing at the end, where the uh, it looked like the Statue of Liberty was just covered, was like broken in the ground. I'm not yeah, like sure. why is it apocalyptic? Yeah, I guess bring us radical socialism. I kind of into that. Yeah, like, first of all, slaps. Yeah. Um, we wish you told them no. The no part is the only part I actually don't like. Um, <laughs> told him more is what I would have said. We need more of that radical socialism. It's amazing how many like there's su- there's such obvious misses for uh, well, some of these some of these rhymes or like they're just right there to pick up off the ground as, and like you just fucking left it. As an expert in doing uh, like parody um, songs, mm-hmm. mostly about the Wire and the Sopranos, I gotta say like um, I respect the choice uh, because the Fetterman part does kind of work with the song, but the wish we told them no part is just like. Mm. Doesn't work. And also, he, they are... Soon may the Fetterman come to bring us radical socialism. Yeah, too many, I, I, I too like many. that, though. Yeah. I mean, I like the message and I like the music. Yeah. And the, I think the funniest thing about this is that's that song that everyone is doing on TikTok. That is like yes, a sea shanty. That's what they're hoping will happen. Right. And I'm like, hey, um, I don't know if you guys uh, know this, but uh, your constituents, Dr. Oz, they don't know what the fuck a TikTok is. Uh, so really, they're what just like, what's this song? They don't get the parody song. And trust me, as a guy who has done parody songs of, of obscure Panda Bear B-sides for the Wire podcast, um, people don't like when they don't know the reference song. What's going on, Frantifa? If you haven't already... Subscribe to this channel right now. Hit that button. And also, you can become a patron and support the show every single week. Get access to bonus episodes and exclusive merchandise. Patreon.com slash habituation. We go with Francesca Fiorentini and uh, Matt Lieb. I think his name is. Um, showcasing some of... Uh, the more, the weirder campaign ads that were put on by right-wing people. Uh, Not much you can say about those things. A beautiful line uh, from the John Kennedy one was, the next time you need help, you're worried about police brutality, call a crackhead. And this is coming right out of anti-hippie. I remember this is a sign, anti-hippie in Pacifica. If you're worried about, about police brutality, next time you're in trouble, you need help, call a hippie. So basically saying that if you're against police and there are things that police do that you object to, you have no right to the protection of society. And on the surface of it, it sounds like, quote-unquote, common sense. But of course, the minute you scratch it and look underneath, you realize how terrible it is, how that point of view means as long as you have to be pro-government in order to in order to be protected. A strange, a strange point of view. So, okay, we started out this 
show with Sixto Rodriguez, and I want to finish it with him as well. Sixto is a Mexican-American singer-songwriter from Detroit, Michigan. His career was initially met with little fanfare in the United States. He found success in South Africa, in Australia, and in New Zealand. Unbeknownst to him for decades, his music was extremely successful and influential in South Africa. where he is believed to have sold more records than Elvis Presley, as well as other countries in Southern Africa. Information was scarce, and it was incorrectly rumored there that he had committed suicide shortly after releasing his second album. In the 1990s, determined South African fans managed to find and contact Rodriguez, a lot of it was through his daughter who made a big effort to, who heard his song being played over the internet uh, on a South African station. And he led to an unexpected revival of his musical career. This was told in the 2012 Academy Award-winning documentary film Searching for Sugar Man. He was singing Sugar Man, maybe uh, referring to uh, drug dealers within prisons, but it became connected to the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. Uh... We can go on and on about this, but I do want to play the song that really set him up, Sugar Man. Here we go. Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes. For a blue coin, won't you bring back all those colors to my dreams? Silver magic ships you carry, jumpers, coke, sweet Mary Jane. Double game. 
Okay, there's Sixto with Sugar Man. Um, and let's see. Quit his music career in 1976. Um, lives in Detroit. Ran unsuccessfully several times for public office. In 2013, he was in discussions with Steve Rowland although he remained relatively unknown. Yada, 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 yada. Despite his success abroad, Rodriguez's fame in South Africa had remained unknown to him until 1997 when his eldest daughter, Ava, came across a website dedicated to him. After contacting the, w the website and learning of his fame in the country, Rodriguez went on his first South African tour, playing six concerts before thousands of fans. Um, 
Okay. Be that as it may. It's time for us to get out of here. Remember, have a good week and good work. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, then you're on the menu. Remember, labor is life. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. This is the B. I'm going to hand you off right now to Scotto Walker and flat black plastic coming right up. Put on. Oh, okay. A piece of your show. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just as long as you. Shri Ma, which respectfully addresses the Divine Mother. Kalima. Get my Kalima. Record for two bucks. You're gonna meet Jack. You know what, Jack? Oh man, he's obviously not here. He's um, Larry Hardy. He's in a band called Random Conflict. He used to be in Skeleton Bird. Now he's in something else. You can buy their tape here. Ours will be here soon. Did you know that? Ours will be here soon. Ah, look. He obviously didn't get anything in. Scorpions. Last row of new arrivals. Everything else we've already looked at. Usually the good stuff's in there. Nothing different. My favorite group, personally. 
to the shirt. The Metallica shirt. You can't find anywhere else. What else? He's got another one over here. Come on. It's in here. It's another Metallica shirt that you can't find anywhere else. Here it is. And this is for all one on the back. And all y'all that are watching the shoes, send us $10 and One day. 
What better way than to close it with the sounds from the streets, Santana. Black Classic Mini Radio. Sounds from the streets, Santana. Yeah. 